I'm, I'm fully dressed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider, brought to you, as ever, by Vanishing Inc. Today, on the line, all the way from Germany, we have the delightful Herr Pitt Hartling. Pitt, how are you today? Hello, hello. Sehr gut. Vielen Dank. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> okay, it's a short show, so we have to crack on. What's your origin story? You've got 41 seconds. Oh, okay. So, um, origin story. It, it all started with uh, Super Heinz, of course. Um, my, my superhero alter ego. And yeah, then, then he, had, he had to save the world. He was busy. So um, then I then created this, this Pit Hartling character that I've been hiding behind ever since. And yeah, that's how it started. <laughs> Still alter uh, ego. Well, and I really got a, a magic set when I was like 10 or so. And that's how it really started. You're widely loved by card magicians for two books, card fictions, and in order to amaze. What yeah. drives you to create material, Pitt? It's not so much a drive, really. It's just more more like a byproduct. I mean, when you're when you're playing around with cards all day and uh, talking magic and watching a lot of magic and and performing a lot of magic, probably most importantly, then I find you can't really help but um, having some output. And then it's just a question of, of yeah, um, going back to it and, and refining and throwing out all the bad stuff. So <laughs> I try to publish only the things that, uh, yeah, that, that work. And, and um, yeah. so maybe it's um, an impression that's not quite right, that everything I uh, create or come up with is, is good. Um, well, <laughs> little do you know. <laughs> no, peeking behind the curtain mm -hmm, now, Pete, mm -hmm. into your secret life. Yeah, yeah. Um, why do you think someone like me who has been doing card magic for 35 years and has never learned to stack, should learn a stack. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I would never say that you should, really. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> in the missionizing uh, business. <laughs> uh, well, um, I just happened to, to read um, Simon Aronson's books and then saw Juan Tamaris do a few things. So um, that was, I don't know, 20 years ago or so. And then I decided to learn a stack and um, yeah, but it's it's just really one more tool in your toolbox. So if you want to learn the stack, then go ahead. And if you hate stack magic, then just don't. I mean, <laughs> I don't hate it at yeah. all. I'm just yeah. scared of that first sort of. Ah, you mean the the work? You mean? Yeah, the work. I think ah. I'm, maybe I'm just lazy, Pitt. Nah, it's not that bad. I think there's a, more like a psychological hurdle that people think, oh, to remember 52 cards, that's so difficult. But I mean, I always tell people, imagine, imagine you're an actor, you know, who has to be in a, in a stage play mm -hmm. and you have many, many, many lines. And that's much more memorizing work than just 52 cards. If you told a professional actor here as, as part of your big monologue, you have to recite those 52 cards in order, then he just go, OK. And, and just learn it, because that's his, his profession, really. And it's, it's not that difficult. I mean, I, I learned the stack in, in one night. And together with another friend, we did that again. So I helped him learn it in one night. And Tamaris does workshops where he teaches the stack to people in a whole day. So it can be done. It's not such a big deal. I mean, yeah. OK. So how do you advise someone? What, is there a method that you favor for learning a stack? Uh, yes, uh, definitely. I mean, I did it by brute force, but I wouldn't recommend that because that's just making it more difficult than it needs to be. The, I think the regular way is to use the, the classic uh, mnemonics. So for every number from 1 to 52, you have one 
easily remembered uh, image, like one mm -hmm. as a candle and two as a swan, because it looks a little bit like the number two and, and mm -hmm. so on. And then you do the same thing for every playing card. So for every card you have an image as well. And then it's just a question of combining those images. And um, you do that once and you can take your time and uh, really make those images clear and vivid and uh, possibly uh, with movement or, or sexual or violent mm -hmm. because those are the things we tend to remember well. And then you have every card linked to a number from 1 to 52 and, and there you go. So don't learn the, the, the sequence. Don't go four of clubs, two of hearts, uh, seven of diamonds and all that because then you end up just knowing the order of the cards but not the position of every card. That's what right. you really need. Link one card to one number and um, yeah. The best source I know for all of that where you have all the 52 images for cards and all the 52 images for the numbers and all that is in um, Simon Aronson's A Stack to Remember. It's his manuscript on, on memorized stack, on, on his stack and um, it's also in a book called Bound to Please. And there you have all the, the methods of how to learn it. You make it sound so simple, Pat. It's, it's not really that hard. Okay, maybe it's just Believe in my, in my <laughs> observation. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, at the session uh, last year, Dynamo said that In Order to Amaze was his favourite <laughs> book on card magic. How yeah. did that make you feel, man? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a very nice compliment, obviously, but... You want the honest answer? The, yeah. Yeah, well, well, when he said that, I, I was like, raise your standards, really. I mean, <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, there's Vernon and Marlowe and Elmsley, Ascanio, and then, well, I, I probably, I think he, he just read the book probably uh, maybe a few weeks back or something, and then you know how it is, then something sticks to your mind and you like it, and then that's the first thing that pops out when, when you're asked what is your current favorite magic book, maybe. Sure. So okay. I guess that's how it, how it went. No need to be so humble, Mr. Hunt. No, no, I'm serious. I mean, <laughs> still a great you, book. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, you, you seem to return to popular plots and put your own spin on them, which are then widely regarded by experts as the best solution to a problem. How do you go about finding a problem with a trick to begin with? Oh, I'm actually not really that good at finding problems. Um, and it's not so much problem solving either. I don't know how it really happens. I, there is no, no process in that sense. I just, I just play around and, um, well, I see stuff and read stuff and then I, I, I yeah, play around with that and maybe perform it. And then as I'm performing, there is an idea and I change a handling here and there. But it's not a very structured process, really. Right. Yeah, there is a a talk online by John Cleese on, on creativity. I don't know whether you know that. I, I don't no. know the, the source now, but if you Google John Cleese and creativity and um, there what he basically says is that it's, it's not so much a set of techniques, um, but rather a state of mind. So to, to uh. keep some joyfulness and you're not judgmental and childlike, I would, I would add. So um, and then uh, something is bound to, to come out of it. I mean, just playing, really. Yeah. Okay. Sounds a bit esoteric, but that's, that's how, it, how it happens. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. What plot has your interest at the moment on? What are you, what are you working on? 
Uh, at the moment, not so much a plot. I'm, I'm, I'm focusing a bit more recently on, on my uh, full evening uh, stage or, or parlor show. So uh, there are a few things that I try to, well, not fix, but maybe try and get the rhythm right for certain bits or maybe write some transitions from one bit to another, stuff like that. Well, when I say right, it's usually see what I come up with next time I'm on stage. So <laughs> I usually keep the good bits and throw out the bad bits, and that's my writing process. Um, ah, okay. <laughs> so do you, do you do that by memory, or do you record all your performances? Uh, sometimes I record it, and sometimes I even tape it. Um, but then I found I don't really look at it much. <laughs> I mean, it's just right. in case you have that one good line, then at least you can remember it. Um, so that, yeah, that helps. Sure. Yeah. German close-up magic is so sensational and creative. What do huh. you attribute this sort of cultural movement to? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, we do have um, a few venues for close-up magic, so maybe mm. maybe that helps. And um, it's not really close-up too. I mean, there are parlor and stage people now touring with full evening shows, and um, yeah, there have always been quite a lot of of those. I think there maybe I don't know maybe thirty full evening solo or duo shows touring Germany Crikey. at the moment. Uh, and that is probably because we, we have some small theatres where you can actually perform. So mm. uh, that helps. And um, yeah, people go out and, and watch magic. I mean, it may still be a little hard to get people into the theatre because they might still think magic is a little bit for children. Sure. But I think even that is now changing a bit because it's quite popular. The, you know, the Ehrlich brothers have also helped mm -hmm. with a little yeah. bit of hype, even though it's a completely different style, but they put magic into the into the consciousness of, of people so yeah that's, that's quite good i see in photographs you're always wearing very nice suits when you perform <laughs> how many do you own aha where did <laughs> where did you get that question from? <laughs> uh yeah i have sort of a suit fetish a little bit i don't know i, I, I just like suits um i don't know 17 i think 18, 17, something like that it's not that many i mean yeah how, how yeah. do you think magicians can best work out what attire is appropriate for an event? Oh, uh, well, I, I'm just wondering whether it's really the right question to say what is appropriate for that event or for that venue, or whether the question should rather be what is appropriate for who you are on stage uh, I mean, as a, as a yeah, person, yeah. as a character. So I try to to be that guy wherever I am. So I don't really think, oh, now this is a fancy place, so I dress like that, and this is a bit not so fancy, so I can be very casual. It, it should fit me more. And right. um, I think Roberto Jobby, when asked uh, what a magician should wear, uh, he, he said once, or I think he even wrote that, um, after seeing Fred Cups in a tuxedo, Mm -hmm. And and Tamaris in a in a like a knitted uh, thing <laughs> he wears yeah, yeah, such yeah. as a pullover, he cannot believe that um, there is a right or, or wrong way to dress uh, on st on a stage. Very and I agree, except I mean of course if you're in a corporate context and then you uh, you, you may not be on a stage but some uh, at, at people's tables for example and then if mm -hmm. you dress like a hobo you might that that better be a, a, a character then. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, they might look at you a little strangely, of course. Sure. 
sure. Uh, tell me about a description of an effect I read where a mystery card is placed in your pocket and then a dozen spectators take cards which are whittled <laughs> down to one which matches the mystery card. A dozen spectators, Pip. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, the way you usually do it is to just force a card, you know, and then it matches the one that somebody has in the pocket. But on, on one uh, special night, I decided, I, I decided, hey, why, why always do it the, the classic way? You know, you have to try different ways. So I, I had a few free choices in, and then forced the card only on the last spectator. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's when you try to be very liberal with your with your classic force. Very well, not liberal, but you know, very open, and then they might not uh, pick it. Oh, yeah. Which, in all seriousness, is is, uh, is not a bad thing because then you can sort of emphasize the the free choice and maybe really have a second card freely selected than before forcing the card and. Um, a dozen cards is, is a little much. <laughs> I think it was like half a dozen, which is still much. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. work on your classic force pair. Come yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, talk to us about this physics-based show you're doing with Thomas ah, Fraps. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Thomas and I, uh, 15 years ago, we found that we had uh, very similar interests um, in, uh, well, um, other than magic, I mean, humor-wise and books and, and all that. And Thomas um, studied physics, and I, well, I have no idea about physics really, but I enjoy <laughs> reading Feynman and, and uh, all those things. Mm -hmm. So eventually we decided we should make a show uh, along those lines. And um, yeah, and I think we went for like a, like a wellness weekend and a brainstorming weekend and out came the basic structure for that show that we've now been doing for 15 years. It's actually two shows now and, and a best of. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's about um, science really, science and physics and a little bit of philosophy thrown in and a heavy dose of, of silliness. And then we illustrate scientific or physical concepts with magic. So all the science is correct. We are not okay. uh, making fun of that. We're not making up stupid things. But the way we illustrate those phenomena, that is uh, wholly fictitious, of course. It, it would never work in the, <laughs> the macroscopic world, at least. Um, right. <laughs> and, and yeah, the result is, is sort of unique. I mean, there, there, there are not so many shows that you could compare this one to. It's, it's a lot of fun. So is that something that general um, uh, public come to see, or is it an educational oh, yeah. thing for children? Uh, no, it's it's very much for the for the general public. Not so much for children. Um, I mean, we also once in a while we have like a, a corporate show where it's about science and technology or, or right. something like that. But it's mostly a, a theatre project, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's for the general public. So it's not a lecture. You don't okay. have to be uh, an advanced. Physician. Feynman student. F physicist. Physicist is the word, right? Yeah. Now, I know there's uh, quite an amazing story about a card or possibly a business card on a very high ceiling oh. you did as you were <laughs> leaving a show at a bank. Can you tell yeah. us about that? Yeah, it was actually an insurance company. I did some show in a, in a basement in a wine cellar for some people and then I waited for my taxi in, in their huge lobby 
and um, it had a very, very high ceiling. And I thought, ah, it might be cool to leave a card on their ceiling and then next day give them a call and say, hey, when you're in your lobby, look up uh, the ceiling and then you find um, a card. Uh, mm -hmm. I would like write my name on it and, and they would wonder how, how in the world did that card get there. Sure. So I thought, yeah, that's funny. And then I prepared the card and ceiling thing and threw up the deck. And the first time I didn't even get to the ceiling because it was really high. <laughs> so I threw harder and uh, then it sort of worked. But there was the, uh, a little packet of cards with a rubber band pathetically dangling from the ceiling and the rest of the cards fluttered down. And I obviously couldn't leave it like that. So I thought, well, I just throw the deck up again and hit that little thing. And then it, they will all drop except the card that stuck to the ceiling. So I tried to hit it. <laughs> that is not so easy. No. And um, I tried for like 10 minutes or so. And eventually I saw the, I th I saw the taxi arrive. <laughs> I thought, OK, give me a minute. And then I still tried to hit that thing. And eventually I hit it, but it didn't do anything. So <laughs> OK. And then I just gave up because it really took a long time. <laughs> And I took the taxi to my hotel, and that was when I realized that there were cameras in that whole oh, <laughs> lobby area. So no. somewhere in some control room, somebody may have been looking at some tapes of a guy desperately throwing a deck of cards to the ceiling for no apparent reason. I want that footage. Yeah, <laughs> me too, me too, actually. How was the experience of, of doing the flicking fingers? What's it like creating and performing as a big team instead of on your own? Ah, yeah, well, that's great, but um, it's great first because you're not doing it on your own, but also because in, in the case of the Flicking Fingers, we are just really good friends. So it was so much fun. I mean, all the other guys, they, they are actually some of the magicians that I admired the most and that I learned a lot from. And to do a show together with, with Jörg Alexander and Thomas and, and Helge Thun and Gaston and, and all the others, it's, it's just, um, yeah, it's been great. And, just been talking uh, to some friends and we realized that in 25 years, we just had the 25th Jubilee uh, right. in, in Munich, um, and we, we did not have a single fight. I mean, it's wow. 10 or 11 of us, and um, it might be because we, we haven't done the show <laughs> so, so many times. I mean, we've, we've just met a few times a year. And there was only one, like a larger tour of uh, three weeks or so in, in, in bigger venues. But uh, other than that, we just came together um, for maybe three days of performing or a long weekend here and there. Um, yeah, but that's, that's really great. I mean, to me, what, what makes it great is that uh, you have like different styles, different visions. I mean, mm. Gaston is very much into, into acting and characters and all that. And Jörg Alexander is so much about the, the pure magic and the really strong impossibilities and all that. And Helge has a, a theater background and did comedy for many years. And so to bring all that together, you can't help but, but learn. And um, yeah, that was really a great time. It still is. I mean, yeah. It seems from your social media that you're doing a lot more parlor performances now. Is that your main performance environment? Uh, it is, yeah. Well, there are two. I do, um, I do parlor and stage work and I do formal close-up where I don't go to people's tables, but I have, um, like I bring a green uh, felt, like, like a casino thing, and I throw it over a table and two spotlights and then they all gather around that table, like session style. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I do that for groups of up to 45, 50 people maximum. Um, yeah, but whenever it's more, it's, it's parlor and stage and um, yeah, I, I enjoy that a lot. That was 
one of the few conscious decisions that I once made when I found myself doing table hopping and I think there was some other act on stage and then I, I realized as much as I liked the close-up situation, um, professionally I, I'd rather be on that stage right. than at that table here and this is when I, I decided, no, I want to shift a little bit more sure. towards um, stage work and yeah, I'll still do close-up uh, if somebody calls and they they want uh, me as a close-up magician. I'll do it. I like it, but it's not on my it's not on my homepage on or anything. I don't right. promote it. Yeah. So, what, are there any tips or advice you would give for somebody looking to transition from close-up to parlor or stage? Uh, well, just just uh, don't offer a close-up anymore. I mean, first <laughs> get some <laughs> get some stage material that works for for larger groups or maybe with a projection, and then just offer that. I mean, that's as simple as that, and that's uh, just a sort of an evolution. And also, what happened? There, there are some effects that I did in close-up, like in any card at any number, that I tried in first stand-up parlor and then later on stage, and. Um, there is a um, how do you say it? an induced challenge in that thing where mm -hmm. I make people challenge me to let them count at the end and so. And when I first did that stand up as opposed to at a table, I wondered whether that would work at all or not. So if what if they don't if they don't challenge me there, what do I do then? So I tried it and. There was not like one or two guys saying, "Hey, let let me count." There was like almost a third of the audience, so um. it, it worked much better. And I I'm not sure I've ever done it in close-up again ever ever since because it's so much stronger and, and better uh, in the parlor setting. Interesting. So. The, 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 about yeah. inducing challenges, you talk about that in card fictions. Uh, for, yeah, for anybody yeah. that's not read the book, what what does it mean? Uh, well, the idea is that. You know, sometimes people in, in a more interactive setting, they, they challenge you. It's not like hecklers that want to destroy the show, but they say, oh, let me count the card or, or let me shuffle the deck or things like that. And uh, I found or I had the suspicion that those things do not just uh, arise uh, randomly, but that they, are, that they can be triggered, so to speak. So you can make people challenge you and ideally you can make them challenge you to do very specific things that you are prepared for. Uh, so you, you plant an idea into their head and then um, the moment can be very strong because it looks like a, like a real spontaneous conflict okay. you have and it's yeah. unrehearsed yeah. or un unrehearsable even. And when you then you pull it off and you still bring the trick to some uh, conclusion, it, it looks yeah, it feels like real strong magic then. Okay, so... That's, that's the idea. So how... I can give a specific example about this. In my ambitious card, the last uh -huh. phase the spectator does in their hands. Um, yeah. And at a gig I had last week, just before that last phase was going to happen, the spectator yeah. said, well, let me do it then. Yeah. And it couldn't have perfect. been more perfect. But how do you... How do I induce that to happen? What can I do to, to steer somebody towards doing those sorts of things that I actually want them secretly to do? Yes, exactly. Um, it depends what it is, what you want them to challenge uh, okay. you. I mean, let me give you another example. It's quite easy. Uh, there is a trick by David Williamson, the Torn and Restored Transpo, yes. where a selected card ends up 
torn on the table, but that's the, the finale of the trick. Well, not really, later you restore it. But instead of just restoring, you could just leave those pieces there. And you have this inherent conflict of a torn card and the deck is obviously destroyed. And if you just wait, then just because of this inherent thing <sighs> there that it's not complete yet, so to speak, people can feel that, they can sense it. Uh, somebody probably will say, well, can you put that card back together? Right. And, and in those cases, it's easier. Um, Another example would be where I secretly loaded a card into somebody's pocket mm -hmm. and then I had a duplicate and um, I wanted to make them challenge me to make that card go in their pocket. Mm -hmm. Which, because it's much nicer if they say, can you yeah, make that course. go into my pocket as, as, you as opposed to you saying, now I will make it mm -hmm. go into your pocket, that's different. And the, the way to do that was that I made the card travel into my pocket a few times. Mm -hmm. So well, the card's in my pocket. The, and see, there it is. And now it goes to that other pocket and, and it's uh, on the other side or in your inner breast pocket or somewhere. And then you can say, and it can actually go to, to any pocket. Uh. And you just to, you point in the gesture, you sort of point to, to their pocket. And usually they take the bait, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, not always. Uh, and when they say, well, make it go to my pocket then, then you can say, no, no, I mean any of my pockets. Mm. And then now you have that conflict. So in case of the ambitious card, maybe you could, um, you know, touch it a little less and then, then say, uh, uh, I don't even have to touch the cards. Look, I can put them on the table. And then you realize you don't have a table and you go on or maybe okay. so to get, uh, they get the idea, well, I could do it. And, and then you can pretend that, well, no, that's not, uh, not possible, and, and then really do it. Perfect. I see I get free consultancy from Pitt Hartling on my podcast. Ah, Brilliant. It's just, just uh, <laughs> out, of, out of my head now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's been over a decade since Card Fictions. What material are you working on now? What can we expect in the future, Pitt? Uh -huh. um, I don't really know. I don't really plan those things. I mean, um, whatever whatever comes up um, it's I was just reminded when somebody asked uh, Richard Feynman whether he's looking for the unified uh, field theory you know uh, and and he said I don't know I'm not looking for anything I just want to try I want to try and find out what what nature is like and if happens to, if it happens to be if there happens to be a unified theory then good if not then that's how it works and um, it, it feels a bit similar. I, I make no plans. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> looking right. for the unified field theory. <laughs> it's still card tricks. But what I want to say is I don't uh, make a strategy. Now the first book was with a shuffled deck. The second book was on memorized decks. So now I have to publish about, I don't know, mentalism or gimmicks. Or No, that's not how it works. I just play around and whatever comes out of that. As soon as there is enough material that I think is worth sharing, then there will be another book about that, what, whatever it may be, but I, I don't know yet. You little yeah. tease. You can cut answers short, can't you? Yeah, you can edit stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can. It's all I good. keep giving long, long-winded <laughs> no, answers. Yeah, long, sorry. No, 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 no. It's all perfect. Um, but we will do, because it's only a short show. We will do the four quick-fire questions now. Okay. Are you ready? Um, uh, yeah. What's your favourite film? Oh, that would be uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Yeah. What's your favourite... But there's so many. No, 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 many, no. Yeah. there's many. This is, this is all yes. difficult. Um, what's yeah. your favourite pizza topping? Um, ham and onion. Your favourite uh, creator of music? Pooh. Um, Mozart, Beethoven, I guess. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah. you and you and Mr. Bear are the only people that have said <laughs> classical. So that's interesting. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, no. Yeah. And finally, Pitt, who would you rather fight, one hundred tiny Joshuas or one massive Andy? <laughs> Do we really have to fight the yep. poor guys? Yeah, you have to fight um, I would probably go for the tiny Joshes, but Super Heinz would definitely go for the huge Andy. <laughs> yeah. There we have it. Yeah. Mr. Hartling, Herr Hartling, thank you so much for your time <laughs> today in answering my questions. It's been absolutely you, fascinating Daniel. insight. Um, and should people want to find out more about you, do you do, where, should, where can they follow you on that there social media? Oh, just the... the Basics, really. I'm on Facebook, uh, just my name, Pit Hartling. Or, or there's also um, Pit Hartling Wirkt Wunder, very German. Uh, that's my, I don't know how you call it, profile or mm -hmm. page. Or So there's that. And there is Twitter, just Pit Hartling. And Instagram. And um, But sometimes I, I post uh, things that's not really magic related, just uh, from, I don't know, other stuff. But yeah, there you can find me. It's nice not to just have all magic. Yeah, yeah. Magic is part of life, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pitt, thank you so much yeah. indeed for your time. Thank you, Damien. Thanks.